0: I'm Jeff Hunt, and this is Human Capital, produced by Goalspan. Today, we're going to talk about the smart but very difficult leader. I'm guessing you probably know about this person. Oftentimes, they're not open to feedback. They may take credit for your ideas, and they believe themselves to be quite brilliant. It's possible they're actually a top producer at your company, but nobody can get along with them. If you happen to work for one of these people, you might feel like, you're always underperforming or walking on eggshells around them. My guest on the show today will share how these difficult leaders can, in fact, be transformed into powerful visionaries. She will help us unpack what's underneath their challenging behavior and share some healthy ways we can interact with them. Dr. Katrina Barus is one of the world's leading experts on international leadership. Katrina received her MBA from the Thunderbird School of Global Management and her PhD in Human and Organizational Development from Fielding. She is a master's certified coach, facilitates a mastermind group of international CEOs, and her clients include Nestle, Novartis, and the United Nations. Katrina is the author of three books, Abrasive Leaders, Global Nomadic Leaders, and Managing Brilliant Jerks. <laughs> Welcome, Katrina.
1: Thank you. I'm delighted to be here uh, and on your show. Thank you.
0: It's great to have you here. And I, if I remember correctly, you normally split your time between Switzerland and the U.S. Is that correct?
1: Yes. I live in the U.S. now, but I have a lot of clients in Switzerland who are in international businesses. So yes, I do go back and forth.
0: Katrina, before we discuss the brilliant jerk, which I can't wait to get into this topic because so many people don't know how to address it. But before we do, share with me the thumbnail of your career and life journey and who inspired you the most along the way.
1: I would say uh, uh, the thumbnail. Well, I was in finance before at uh, Credit Suisse, very much involved in dedicated, hard worker. And then at one point, I decided that I didn't want to help people necessarily with their money, I wanted to help them on another level. And so I quit, even though I was a high potential. And I decided to find something else, but I really didn't know. So I left something that was well paid for, and without knowing where to go next. But then when I heard about coaching, I said, that was it. That's what really I would like to do is to help people more on the behavioral and the business context. Because in finance, you can get a higher value of a stock if the management and leadership is considered to be excellent. And I was very curious. So I went to conferences where I could hear leaders speak. And uh, that really set me my interest. And that's coaching was a way to um, help those leaders as much as I could
0: it sounds like you left Credit Suisse really to follow your passion
1: that's right yes very well said
0: and was there one or more people that inspired you along the way
1: yes uh, the past CEO and chairman of Nestle he definitely inspired me very much so Mm. I, I think it's a bit long to go into that story but let's say his challenge and i provoked the challenge of rewriting his not rewriting but editing his speeches and he took me to the test and so i started editing his speeches to his top 200 leaders i would have paid to read it but he did pay me to edit it and so i must say that was a boost my confidence and i started you know really focusing on leaders.
0: There's almost always somebody in our lives that really provokes us to move in the direction of our passion. So I love hearing that. Tell me how you originally got interested in this concept of the brilliant jerk.
1: For one, they cause a lot of suffering in the workplace. And uh, because one, uh, they're in a leadership position, so they have a lot of power and their behaviors cause a lot of suffering and turnover and cost to the company. But they are very motivated to do incredible results, or their expertise is really valued by the company. So the company really wants to keep them on, but uh, it's becoming a real problem, a pain point for the company. For example, a hospital, you know, courts this cardiologist that's famous uh, for years and then finally manages to bring him on board. So he does a fabulous job in the operating room, but no one wants to work with him. And this can last for years and it's really a a high cost for the organization or for the hospital, etc.
0: So it sounds like that often people will be recruited or promoted because of their functional expertise and competency, but they may not have leadership skills that are really rounded out. That's right. Is that correct?
1: Well, yes. And also sometimes uh, experts are, you know, they think, ah, because they're experts, we'll promote them. And of course, they'll disseminate their expertise by osmosis. Well, many of these people love being expert or scientists, for example, but have no idea how to manage people. And so, in fact, you're taking away from them their expertise to be a leader of other people, and they have to learn to not micromanage to delegate. And when they get really stressed or insecure, what do they do? They go back and doing the work themselves because it gives them immediate satisfaction. Instead, they have to step back, be a lot more strategic and work through people, uh, not necessarily do the work. So I find that a lot of them micromanage or they think they can do the work better, which they probably can, but they don't develop people or, or they have difficulty developing a successor. So it has repercussions on the organization, even if the person's not toxic, but just simply a very good expert and loves, loves his job.
0: What are some other, I, I mentioned some of these behaviors in my intro about how they show up at work. Maybe they take credit for your ideas. They might not be open to feedback or you feel like you're walking on eggshells. What are some other behaviors that you've seen in this type of person?
1: So I don't want to underestimate the, the, the cause and the suffering they, they have on victims. And I'll give you an example. Uh, one, this was fellow was top executive of a multinational company, so experienced leader. But his boss was toxic towards him, and he was going through personal issues. He was one of the best speakers of his company. And every year at the end of the year, he would give the Riley you know, the encouraging speech uh, for the next year. But when he calls me, he says, Oh, Katrina, you know, um, I don't know what's happening to me. I don't like to ask anybody for help, but you know, my boss and something weird is happening because people say I'm acting strangely. I can't finish my sentences and I have a lot of rashes on my body. Uh, so they can come to that degree of stress level. And they, of course, they're not performing because they're stressed. They're like this incredible speaker uh, couldn't even really finish his sentences. Imagine what, how unproductive it was at work, this high achiever in normal circumstances.
0: So that makes me think of John Gottman's Four Horsemen, And for those of you that are not familiar with this, um, John Gottman coined this term, the four horsemen. And these behaviors, I believe, have a high predictability in the area of divorce and couples or breakdowns in relationships. And they include criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. And so I'm wondering if Katrina the four horsemen behaviors are sometimes present with this type of individual who actually might be quite smart, as you said, and valued for their competency, but difficult to get along with.
1: I would say relationships are basically fluid. They should be fluid. It's an in and out and you adapt each time. And I would say that one of the coaching outcomes is to make the leader adapt his leadership to the circumstances, the context and the person. Uh, Otherwise it's like playing a piano always on one side of the piano and reacting always the same way to the same situation or person. So it's really developing their array of reactions to their leadership. So that's already the relationship is fluid and should be and the leadership should be fluid. Then you see criticism. Basically it's, I'm right, you're wrong. So they're not very open to listening to the others. And maybe the other person is wrong, but what is a leader? A leader should help the thinking of the other person to develop them, to have options, to develop the best strategy. And if they just criticize without any support or any, let's say, enticing them to find an answer with respect so that their best thinking comes to the table, then then you're limiting that relationship and the potential of the other person. That I would say about criticism. The other one is contempt. Well, contempt is really judging the other and undervaluing their potential. And so uh, if you give that contempt, and a lot of brilliant jerks think, you know, the other people are stupid or they're they're incompetent or whatever. So I would say they use contempt. Uh, instead of really thinking, way, how oh, this my role here is to develop them uh, to help them be better. And it it doesn't mean that if they are not as competent that it shows on me. It's separate. You know, like a two year old, nothing's separate. Everything's about them. Huh? But with age, you make a difference between your identity and the other. And that is sometimes, The contempt is really, yes, it's not believing in the other person. So that's limiting them, I would say. And then you mentioned the defensiveness. Defensiveness is, first of all, you don't really listen to the other person, as I hear it. And you give the authority to the other person. You don't take responsibility. So if you don't take responsibility and it's the other person's fault, nothing changes. And you can find this in adolescence that it's everybody else's fault. And I think that's a developmental issue too, to say, okay, maybe part of it was the other person's fault, but what did I contribute to make this happen? What was it? So even that question should be asked. And so I think um, defensiveness is really limiting even the coaching possibility if a person doesn't accept the responsibility. And then stonewalling, which I just learned the word from you. (laughs) So it's a shutdown, you told me. So a shutdown, I would say when someone feels threatened, if you related to the animal world, there's a fight, flight, no, fight, flight, or freeze, excuse me. Stonewalling is really shutting down. And it's a bit of a flight strategy. It's, you know, not accepting the situation going uh, the other way. So Uh, Communication in a relationship is super important, whether it be in a couple or even at work.
0: Yeah, and what I'm taking away from you is that fluidity is really key. So having this sort of back and forth and the ability to, to adjust based on the circumstances in the person. The other thing I'm just reflecting on, Katrina, as you were sharing that was that the difference um, with the criticism is if you add constructive to that, then it can become helpful, right? So if you're constructive criticism or constructive feedback, or sometimes they even say feed forward because we're making it more future focused, that can be very developmental and helpful, but just stripped down criticism can be a very problematic
1: Yes. And I would add to that, you know, to, to make the difference between a brilliant jerk and an inspiring leader is that the brilliant jerk, uh, the employee comes with a problem and they perceive it as a personal threat to their credibility, to them. And so they react by dominating, by, you know, threatening uh, and being destructive on a personal level. So it becomes they are incompetent or whatever. The difference between an inspiring leader is that the same employee comes with the same problem, but they step back and analyze the situation. Is it the person that they're incapable of doing it because it's too overwhelming, but they made the best effort, and then they will give them support or diminish the the project so that they can succeed. The objective is that person succeeds and to give them what they need to be able to succeed, even reducing a project. Or stepping back and saying, hmm, this person is very competent, but is unmotivated, or is going through a personal problem. And so they have a heart-to-heart discussion. So it's a a different type of approach. And if I could summarize it, it's really uh, leadership agility. You know, like the relationship between couples is fluid as well in every relationship, but I would say in a business context, I would call it leadership agility to adapt to the situation, to the person. And the inspiring leader is really relating to what the person is doing to a bigger picture, a vision and the outcome, which has a consequence often of giving meaning to what the person is doing in their daily life and they can see the bigger picture.
0: That's great, I love that. I'll say one more thing about these four, the four horsemen, but contempt, I believe often can show up in the form of things like eye rolling. If your manager is rolling their eyes as you're saying something, that's really a a version of contempt and nobody likes to receive that. I guess my question around these is, Is it a matter of increasing the self-awareness for this person who's exhibiting these behaviors, helping them to become more aware of the impact they're having on those around them?
1: So you gave a perfect example of one of my cases as uh, this uh, brilliant woman, but interpersonally demotivating or toxic or whatever. She was very, very bright. And of course, People that were newer to the company or didn't have her corporate knowledge or even weren't as sharp as her, she would uh, have her employees walk three steps behind her. And when they asked questions, she would go,
0: <sighs> The big sigh.
1: <laughs> big sigh and roll her eyes. Now, was she aware of it? No, she wasn't. So sometimes. The reaction of contempt is nonverbal, and they are not aware that they're even doing it. Mm. Uh, It's not an intent per se, because it's not premeditated, but it's a reaction. Part of the process of transforming brilliant jerks into inspiring leaders is making them aware of the verbal and nonverbal they do and the consequences it has on people.
0: Let's stay on this topic for a little longer. How do you actually transform a brilliant jerk into an inspiring leader?
1: Uh, well, that might take a session in itself, but let, let me give you the key points. First, it's um, developing self-awareness. Coaches work before they start the coaching needs to know the cultural awareness of the company. What is accepted, what is good leadership, what is condoned, how decisions are made, how do they promote people, etc. But let's say the first for the, the brilliant jerk, as I call them affectionately, by the way, is uh, self-awareness. Then they need to do the next step, and it's a whole process because even the self-awareness, it's psychometric inventories, it's feedback, it's et cetera. Then boss awareness. to be more aware, of how they're different or similar to their boss, making them take the time to really know on a more intuitive level what they're doing and not doing. So that is all the inventories that they do on the first step. They apply it to their boss intuitively and then develop it. Also their triad meeting. So I observe and observe their behavior with their boss, the boss's expectation, etc. The usual thing, and then. It's stakeholder awareness, make them aware of how they're perceived on a wider frame. With that, it gives them incredible tools, how they're perceived, and then how they behave in a team. So I call it team awareness. So these are all processed to increase gradually their awareness and then to execute a developmental plan and involving their system, their environment. And then also, what's the next step to be inspiring with all this self-awareness to grow to that level? So it's important that the stakeholder awareness is part of the process because I can get the details of like this woman that walked three steps in front of her employee, rolled her eyes inside. I can get that degree of information for this leader so that they know they're very smart. So they know what to do and practice it. The other thing is each company has its own culture, and so they need to be aware of the culture so that, and the people need to aware that they're doing a leadership development program, because if they're brilliant jerks and uh, they all of a sudden try to be nice, it's gonna be pretty awkward at first. And people, if they have the mindset that they're jerks, will push them back and think they're manipulating them. But if they have the mindset that, oh, this person has realized that they're really gonna work on their behaviors, then it it will already bring a different attitude to the stakeholders.
0: It's almost as if you're saying they need a a sense of authentic humility among their team and their stakeholders in order to have it stick effectively.
1: Uh, Humility about the stakeholders?
0: their willingness to be vulnerable and admit that they have caused some problems associated with some of their behaviors.
1: Yes, and uh, the the feedback has to be so good and so factual and so descriptive that uh, usually they're in shock, okay? So if they're in shock, in some ways, it's a good thing because that means the intent wasn't to hurt. Uh, A psychopath is a sickness. I'm talking Mm. about people that often have huge pressure on themselves to perform and don't realize that their behavior can be extremely toxic. Uh, And also, it's got to be the stakeholder awareness is also extremely important to not use a traditional 360 degree feedback Mm. uh, for two reasons. Essentially, there's a lot more, but one, uh, people can probably determine who said what by the comments. Uh, It's a lot easier. Uh, The language hasn't been specially neutralized. And uh, the thing is, uh, it's on a scale of one to five. Well, if they get twos, okay, they know they don't communicate well, but what does that mean? I want to get the description enough that they can say, oh, okay, that's what I do. Okay, next time I'll be more aware that I'm doing this. I never noticed it. And then you can work on that behavior.
0: If you're in an organization that really has one of these high performers that you want to retain and transform, are there things that you need to be aware of or potential mistakes that you can make when trying to convince mm-hmm. this person to accept coaching?
1: Yes, I would say one before you they accept to be coach is uh, it's a very scary process, and they have to be courageous because. Uh, the coach, I'm coaching people throughout the organization. And I want to say what's just as important is where they excel, because they're going to win on what they excel. But then what are these noises? What are these rumors that are around that are really impeding them from progressing in in the company? So there's a lot of mistakes. And when you uh, coach them, It's important not to be the spokesperson, a catalyst, a coach is a catalyst, it sort of makes things happen. But it's not part of the company, we come from outside. So if someone tells me I'm going to fire this person, if they don't change in six months, which often they do, don't be the spokesperson. And I had to learn the hard way in my early career because I wanted to protect the person and they were talking about firing him. I said, oh, maybe he's not taking this seriously enough. So I communicated, no, 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 no. That was a mistake. It's really, you have to encourage management and help them tell them, but don't intercept what leadership should be doing. And in this case, well, the company bought another company and this person was the best expert in this field. And so they promoted him, finished. I I stopped the coaching. That was a strategic decision they made, but uh, my credibility was, uh, I didn't even want to continue. That's one, not be the spokesperson. The other is fact battling. For example, I had a client that became outraged very easily. If he saw, he was in in the construction building and uh, he saw the, the site that was very disorganized. And he saw, uh, after hours, he went there to check it out, and he saw somebody on his phone. And he went up to the person, irate that nothing had been put into its place, took the phone, threw it, it broke in a thousand pieces. Then the person went to HR and was very upset that he broke his phone and lost control. And of course, HR calls him in, says, what did you do? He says, he dropped his phone, that's all. The thing is to be a neutral researcher, to listen to both parties, and really listen with respect to the people that have been hurt by it, and to the leader by saying, how does he see, or how does she see the situation? Uh, so, um, so not being contaminated by the feedback you get, trying to stay neutral. And if you have to step out of the process for a while, then do so.
0: Great, well, a couple more questions and we'll switch to some lightning round questions. But one of them that I'm, I think is a, is a helpful one, you were just talking about possibly firing one of you know these people, the situation where you get to the point where you actually have to let them go. How does an organization know when it's time to cut ties instead of continue to work through some sort of a coaching arrangement?
1: First of all, I can say through my experience, when I'm hired to coach somebody like that, I have to determine if they're just trying to do a coaching program to give them good conscience, but they've already made the decision to fire the person. And then I don't take the mandate. The other is to determine if the person does change according to expectation, what's the benefit for the person? And if they tell me we'll give you six months, you cut the time in half for them to show results. They have to really perceive the behavior change. The process is that you evaluate at the beginning and you evaluate at the end and determine if it's well perceived how this person has changed.
0: So if you play the movie forward on transforming the leader into one who is truly inspiring, What are the characteristics and behaviors that you see show up?
1: What are the characteristics? Well, this lady that threw her eyes up inside, she was shocked when she received it. She was crying, really, just shaking. You know, I didn't realize that uh, other things that were on there. And uh, she made an effort in the beginning. It was being aware that she has these triggers where she has she's out of control, especially when her status is questioned or she feels that someone attacked her status. Uh, so she had to be made aware, but that's not good enough. They have to then uh, find different behaviors that that are more conducive, be m- more aware of how they might be perceived, to be able to uh, really really change. And this lady, she was selected as the candidate of the best leader of uh, the company by the very people that criticized her so they saw the difference it takes a lot of work though and it takes time
0: but it's it's very inspiring in its own right to hear that and provides hope because i think sometimes people get in these situations for such a long period of time where they're exposed to or having to deal with this type of difficult person. And so they end up losing hope. But what you're saying is that there is hope uh, for change.
1: There is hope, but the company has to do something about it. And a lot of time they lose hope because the company will accept this destructive behavior because they're getting results that they want. Because, you know, if they, do, they don't, like they have an avoidant leader that doesn't do anything about it, that's scared of this brilliant jerk, and they see the brilliant jerk go up in the hierarchy because he does good results, then what happens? People emulate them. Right. That's sending the wrong message.
0: So you end up with an organization potentially of brilliant jerks, the culture that promotes that, right?
1: (laughs) Yes, because they think that's the way to succeed.
0: Well, let's shift into some lightning round questions. I'm gonna ask you a few questions, just give me your top of mind answer. The first one is what are you most grateful for Katrina?
1: I'm most grateful for my mother because I I have four brothers and a very uh, paternalistic father and uh, she always believed in me and made me the person I am today.
0: That's special. What is the most difficult leadership lesson you've learned over your career?
1: Uh, that you don't take the place of management. You help management have the courage to say certain things, help them express it in a constructive way. You're a catalyst.
0: Really empowering others, it sounds like. Empowering
1: others, yes, and helping others, which I love to do.
0: Who is one person you would interview if you could, living or not?
1: That's the hardest question you've asked so far. (laughs) Because there's so many people I want to interview. I love to interview people that, uh, that have, are visionaries. That's my, like uh, the number two of CERN at the time, it's 20, 30 years in advance. Number two of Monsanto many years ago, to have the vision of seeing the food situation in 20, 30 years. Peter Brabeck, who's the past CEO and chairman of Nestle, who sees the transition from being operational as CEO and then being a chairman and seeing how the company intervenes in Europe, in the world and water and what are the water issues. That is very inspiring.
0: Remarkable.
1: And I'm very lucky to have interviewed them.
0: Um, By the way, to all our listeners, you have your own podcast, right? Yes. What's the name of that podcast in case they wanna go listen?
1: It's called Excellent Executive Coaching, and my new podcast that I'm very excited about to try to interview these top-notch leaders that are quite visionary is will be called Excellent International Executive. Nice. Thank you for asking, Jeff.
0: What's the best piece of advice you've ever received?
1: To stand up for your values,
0: And if you had to summarize this talk, what are the most important takeaways for our listeners today? Uh,
1: I think for the victims of brilliant jerks, I think uh, you have to step back to realize that the brilliant jerks, they have issues. They grew up in certain ways uh, in the pressure of performing, uh, being great or being, they only get loved if they perform, Uh, to understand that. They have issues and not to internalize the toxic behavior and if they do they should and start getting sick or uh, not being able to breathe or being absent they should move because health is very important and their well-being that means it's it's the toxicity has gone into their system and you don't want that but if they can uh, extrapolate that the issue is the other person and see why that person is behaving that way because they feel threatened by something, it then puts the problem on there. And then then they can be more strategic in how they approach them.
0: Katrina, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for bringing all this wisdom to the Human Capital Podcast.
1: Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much for your awesome questions.
0: Thanks for listening to the show this week. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. Let me know what you thought of this episode by emailing humancapital at goalspan.com. Human Capital is produced by GoalSpan. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And please share this podcast with your colleagues, team, or friends. Thanks for being human. Kind.